Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Hey guys, this is your friendly neighborhood pediatric infectious disease doc and researcher, Dr. Santosh, After Dark. Oh, it's a, I, I never know when we're doing an After Dark episode. Well, I mean, I guess I do. I just have to look out a window. But... <laughs> yeah, I mean, there there's After Dark in terms of, it's like dark outside, it's nighttime. But there's also, you know, the After Dark that we have. Technically, I guess, just looking forward to this episode and everything, we're not doing an After Dark that kind of milieu and that scene but you know we can still do the voices if we want to but it's not <laughs> our milieu nor our vanilla but i hope everybody enjoyed their valentine's day mine was pretty mm. straightforward uh okay. started off with breakfast in bed had okay. some chocolates mm. a romantic dinner for two immediately okay. followed by regretting that i ate two dinners uh, the- <laughs> I, 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 that was going to be like a really heartwarming, <laughs> beautiful thing. And then just, it took a horrible left turn. No, Santosh, you're a dad. Do you enjoy dad jokes? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually my daughters are young enough where they still appreciate them. Like they don't, they do don't you, do the, uh, kind of thing on it. Do you know when a dad joke becomes a dad joke? Uh, how does a dad joke like you're, you're saying it, it actually transforms or, or matures into a dad joke is it when the joke has its own children some people think that it's a parent but i always say it's when the joke is yeah. full grown oh boy that was beautiful <laughs> that was beautiful i love it that leads us into a delightful 
new attempt at some segues for this week's everybody's favorite segment, Journal Club. Yay! Yay! Oh, is it an alternate week, Josh? It is an alternate week. New listeners, I hope you took that moment to do Kermit Arms as Mm -hmm. we all cheered to Mm -hmm. see what kind of stuff is floating around the internet. (laughs) For those of you guys who are new, welcome. And we take this time to not only review some really cool news, occasionally we debunk some stuff. And uh, Josh spends a good amount of time telling me to uh, wrap it up. As I delve into the nerd awesome of a various thing and y'all fall asleep gently to the sound of my voice talking about statistical aberrations and uh, molecular pathways. Well, let's get to bunking. Debunking? <laughs> Partial bunking. No, no. It's the bunking First when I put story. them to sleep, but then we wake <laughs> them up to debunk something. Yeah. That's the, bon- that's the bonking. The- <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the, the very first story is, uh, it's quite sweet, actually, uh, oh. because it's about insulin. Traditionally, uh, for many people who have diabetes, at some point in their disease, they have to transition to using insulin. And unfortunately, a certain amount of the population develops insulin resistance. We we try to divide up diabetes into type 1 and type 2, right? So type 2 initially, that's the one that we associate with. We grow up, we eat too much, we wreck our diet, we don't exercise. And then our muscle cells actually become resistant to this molecule insulin. So, you know, when we eat, it's just the blood sugar just gets higher and higher and that can kill us. We can actually treat some of these folks with just a supraphysiologic dose of insulin, but Josh, the other thing that happens is if you, the, the other species of diabetes type one, where you start off not making insulin because you're actually your own body kills off your pancreatic cells, you actually can chug along doing just fine, just fine, just fine. But then if you get to later on in life and you have type one diabetes and you overeat and don't exercise and that kind of a thing, now you can still become insulin resistant on top of you know, having the the type one. So when you give your exogenous insulin, the the needle stick, it doesn't help to lower your blood sugar. And again, you can be at risk. And we could do a whole episode on insulin alone, but Mm. scientists at the Salk Institute have recently discovered a insulin-like molecule produced by fat tissue, but one that regulates blood glucose by an alternative pathway. So if you're, resi- if you're resistant or if your cells are resistant to insulin, meaning that like it, the, the insulin receptor is a little bit like a lock and the insulin no longer as a key fits in the lock, then you can use an alternate way to get sugar into those cells and out of your bloodstream by using this alternate pathway. And it doesn't rely on that. So you know, even if you're insulin resistant, you can use this hormone to lower your blood sugar. Yeah, when you know, when your body locks a door, scientists break a window. Yeah, there you go. So uh, this is actually a well-known hormone. Um, I believe it's fibro- fibroblast growth factor one, right? FGF one. That is correct. So this this was yeah. published in the journal Cell Metabolism. Cell so it <laughs> yep. and it showed. 
that harm that FGF1 regulates blood glucose through inhibiting lipolysis, uh, the breakdown of fat for energy. Right. So if your body doesn't have access to the free fatty acids, which can alternatively fuel a lot of your systems, then what it says is, okay, let me use the glucose uh, lying around or pick up the glucose and store it. So that it gets it out of your bloodstream. And the most exciting part is that insulin suppresses lipolysis through PDE3B. It's an enzyme that initiates the signaling pathway, unlike FGF1, which works through the PDE4. (laughs) I mean, who's not going to get super excited with names like that? Yeah, yeah. So essentially, I think you said it best, like, instead of getting in through the main door, the sugar gets in through like a a broken side window that you jimmy open to let it in. And sugar in your bloodstream has a bunch of bad effects if it gets too high. So anything that you can do to get that sugar out of your bloodstream and into your cells. Now, there is kind of a downside to this, Josh, because it doesn't address the main issue which is that you know the person so the the organism the human is overeating and abusing their body and that kind of a thing that sugar is still going to turn into fat stores and that kind of thing inside of those cells so we don't want this to be just like a a catch-all that like the diabetes will be okay you still have to do the diet and exercise You do, you do. Or, you know, you can just let food sit out till it goes bad, which is what happens to some of the things I do. Like, oh no, like uh, some oranges recently. But good news turns out my Mm. rotten oranges may help to detect cancer. Ooh, okay. Right? Okay. Is that a a buzzy (laughs) enough title? (laughs) You and your Seguyas. It's from the Chemical Engineering Journal. All right. We we try to solve diabetes, and then you leave your food out because you don't want to eat it because it's going to spike your blood sugar, and then it stays out, and then what happens? And then it goes bad. But but most of your food, you're just going to want to throw that out. But oranges? Oh, let me tell you. Yeah. Aren't you glad oh. that you'll have saved them? <laughs> because, because University of Sydney PhD student... Poria Lasani has developed a a possible cancer detection technique made sure. from the juice of rancid oranges. They did specify rancid. It's a low cost probe. You know, it can be done anywhere with a microscope. It uses basically a nano biosensor to detect cells that may be at risk of cancer based on their acidity. So the nanobiosensor is something you'll be very familiar with, Santosh. It's just, you know, any it glows fluorescently in the presence of human cells. And it's also a pH detector where it signals if those cells become acidic. Mm-hmm. With the hypothesis being that the more acidic a cell is, cancer may not be far off. So what okay. cells are the greatest risk of cancer? So calling it a cancer test, I admit, is perhaps a bridge too far but sure, sure. yeah excellent method to de- to detect early risk okay very cool so using uh, all of our uh, wasted stuff like uh, the stuff that you would normally throw away 
So you pour the rotten orange juice in to help make fluorescent carbon dots in a pressure cooker. And those dots, the carbon dots left behind, are used to build the sensors. Neat. That's a fun yeah. way to just, you know, your, your oranges have gone bad. They're still good, though. They're still good. Yeah. So now, you know, we're, we're just building up all the things in your home that can detect cancer. Your oranges, your dog, your expensive biopsy lab. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, wait, Didn't even what? flinch. No. Didn't even flinch, listening yeah, I, audience. Yeah. Santos just nodded right along. Yeah, of course, my biopsy lab. Who doesn't have one of those? <laughs> I, All right. Yeah, I mean, I biopsy <laughs> different things because I'm working with, you know, mice and stuff. But yeah. What do you want biopsied, sir? Use. Yes, in the front row. Is yeah. that is that a watch? You want me to biopsy your watch? I'm going to do it. No. <laughs> yeah. This is what he, this is for fun. Moving on to our next story, once you're done smelling the rotten oranges, uh, you're going to want something kind of clean to get all of that out. And, you know, and I don't know about you, but for me, like the smell of wood chips oh, or yeah. all, is just, oh, there's something so delightful, which I think is why we both enjoy the occasional uh, wood carving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially if you get the right wood, like a cedar. Good news. The next story is a... A new disinfectant is being examined that looks like it kills quite a variety of microbes from nothing more than sawdust and water. And Santosh, you actually found this. You were super excited when you sent me this story. Yeah. You're like, I was whittling whittling so fast, I made my own antibiotics. Yeah. (laughs) This was... Uh, this was very, very exciting, and it actually uh, it, um, it it this was such a cool find that it went straight to the peen. <laughs> oh, all right, God. all right. I'm- Listen, I know you get excited about science, Santosh, but this is that you're talking, of course, about the proceedings for the National Academy of Sciences. Yes, the P N A S. Yes, this this article was published in PNAS, the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. Your your and, favorite penis, I yes. understand. Oh, it's it well, it's my favorite journal. I mean, they're really to be to tell you the truth, in the world of, you know, academic publishing, there really is only one and one true penis. Just Once sticks get, out. It's a cut yeah, above the rest. It is. It's when it came to sawdust, <laughs> what did penis touch on? It it touched on the fact that a lot of where we try to get um, disinfectant. So this wasn't really for antibiotics. This is for environmental disinfection that we try to do. You know, the, the type of things that you associate with cleansers. So like ammonia and other toxic chemicals. Not only, Josh, are they toxic to use. And, and you know, when you use them on a surface, you have to usually follow it up with water and soap so that you don't get sick from it. But manufacturing them actually creates quite a big carbon footprint because extracting the chemicals that you need and then putting it into the bottle and purifying it and everything like that uses up a lot of resources that are not renewable. What these authors did, um, so this was Dr. Fengbo Yu et al., who are at the Shanghai Key Laboratory of Atmospheric Particle Pollution and Prevention, they found a way to use 
biomass, which you and I think about a lot as like compost, you know, the, the leavings over of when we use uh, wood or anything like that. So essentially like wood chips and sawdust, when that material liquefies, use that byproduct to combat bacteria and perhaps even viruses in the environment. Basically, instead of using uh, something where you have to have an extraction process and use up a lot of energy and all this kind of a thing, you can just let the sawdust liquefy, which is what they did. That's the, the liquefaction when your compost is under a lot of weight and it gets really hot in the middle. And what they were able to do is they said, well, we just actually took some of that juice, believe it or not, the actual uh, chemicals that come out of that byproduct of liquefaction, and they tested the ability for several viruses and bacteria to grow in the presence of these chemicals. So you have uh, influenza and various strains of influenza like H1N1 and you know other, other strains of influenza A. They tried testing this against Bacillus subtilis, which is a spore-forming anaerobe, Bacillus anthracis, which is the agent of anthrax, and then E. coli and some Staphylococci, so Staphylococcus epidermidis specifically. And they found out that these compounds from the what they call the bioliquid, so the breakdown products of when your sawdust or wood chips or ever kind of break down, that they were actually active against these viruses and bacteria and inhibited the growth and reproduction of those little buggers so that you could use this as a, as a cool little uh, disinfectant. Um, they tested this, Josh, also on rabbit skin because they had an animal model with rabbit skin. And they actually found that it was non-toxic. So unlike a lot of the detergents that we use nowadays, it didn't cause these horrible burns and that kind of a thing. Finally, the coolest part is that the cost per kilogram was in US dollars like four cents per kilogram of this material. And it came absolutely free just from the natural decomposition of, you know, sawdust. So all good things. I think we still have a long way to go to prove that this is useful in the field, um, kind of at that scale. But man, this is so, so good. And if we can find a sustainable way of making disinfectants, that's fantastic. Well, as you mentioned, Santosh, with the, it may be potent against spores. And if it can kill yes. spores, then cleaning rooms of or preventing C. diff transmission gets way easier. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the main thing, right? Spore-forming bacteria are so environmentally hardy that it really takes a lot to get them off of surfaces. Um, so anything that you can find where you can actually inactivate those spores so that they can no longer hide in that little hardy shell, that's wonderful. And if you can do that in a non-toxic way, so you're not using bleach or ammonia or you know, we've also tried heavy-duty UV light, which of course you can't do with a person because you'll irradiate their skin and cause cancer this would be a wonderful alternative so i'm excited to see what can happen i think now josh we found quite a few you know just disinfectants and antibiotics coming out of nature so overall is a trend of finding these chemicals that are helping us out just gifted to us from nature 
it's it's a wonderful, wonderful line of discovery, and I hope we keep doing it for a long, long time. So far, we've covered rotten oranges, mm-hmm. sugar, at yep. least in the form of insulin, sugar, uh-huh. and compost, wood, yeah. and wood juice and compost. Yeah. Those three <laughs> things combined, or at least two of them, Josh, make you think of what? That's the name of the product when it's licensed and all like it's sold by Procter & Gamble. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, introducing would you spray would juice on your tile? Use would juice on your <laughs> carpet. On your children. <laughs> on your children. It's non-toxic. Would juice for whatever you need to disinfect. Would you? <laughs> would juice. <laughs> we'll add that to our list yeah. of unadvertised medical products right up there yes. with little Dutch boy stents holding <laughs> against the flow. Um Absolutely. When mm. you think of those three products combined together, what sort of things are you thinking of? Uh, I mean, these are all kind of decompositional things because sugar gets fermented and it, you turn into alcohol and then you get alcohols and, and stuff that comes out of the decomposed fermented wood and the breakdown of the juice and the, the oranges. Are we are we talking about maybe something for for alcohol? My first thought, of course, was things that go into a time traveling DeLorean. What? But oh. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The what did they call it, Mister Mister Thirsty? Something. Yeah, like Mister Compost, or things you can smell. And you know what else you can smell? Nanobots. Mm. Dosh, can you smell what the nanobots are cooking? Korean <laughs> nanobots. <laughs> Over yes. a research team. Led by the DGIST, South Korean Institute of Science and Technology. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, uh, uh, the, public... is it Daegu? Daegu uh, Gyeongbuk? Is that right? Sure. Okay. Why not? All right. The trial was published in Advanced Materials, and mm-hmm. they manufactured a series of nanobots that could travel to the brain via the nose. Now, I know what you're thinking. Josh, how can you say this in such a calm voice? There's little yeah. robots that can get into your brain. But, Via your nose, by the way. <laughs> yeah. This is like the I don't know that scene. the I don't know that the myth of entry is really the most concerning aspect. Well, no, no. Because if you told me, for instance, that like someone had to like ah uh, hold you down and then like just, you know, actually put a needle in the side of your head and inject these nanobots, at least you're like, oh my God, run away from the guy with the scary needle. But if if you're saying that someone can just go by and go like and aerosolize some nanobots and you just inhale them and they can go to your brain. Holy crap. Dude. Here's why I'm not more terrified. Yeah. You know, I mean, well, there's still, there's still cause for concern, but you're the one who's instilled a healthy fear of robots into me. Why am I the one freaking out here? Is it opposite day? <laughs> no, it's just a regular human cell that they magnetize and then they can move it by changing oh. around magnetic fields. Oh, okay, okay. So it's a human cell, which means you can't just like aerosolize it because that'll that'll destroy it. They their cell bot consists of stems, human stem cells scraped from nasal cavity turbinates. So basically, they pick your nose and (laughs) dig around until they find something they like. Then, then so gross. They soak it in. Then they soak it in a solution full of iron to magnetize. It's like, you know, when you rub two balloons together, Mm -hmm. imagine doing that with like boogers and iron. 
<laughs> Although they're not, they're not actually boogers. It is that much smaller. It is individual cells from the nasal cavity. Yes. And, yes. and that does magnetize the cells being in such close contact. And that allows the propulsion of the new cell bots using an external magnetic field. So because oh. they are human cells from the body and specifically yeah. stem cells, which can be anything, they right. don't set off the same sort of alarms that the blood brain barrier traditionally throws up because they have been mm -hmm. magnetized. The scientists can control them externally and bonus doesn't have to be with radiation or any kind of implantable device that won't break down. This requires no surgery other than presumably some method of getting it in, which like you said, could just be a little cloud of ninja smoke. <laughs> well, if they're human stem cells, human stem cells are quite delicate. These are probably not completely pluripotent, Josh, meaning that they can't turn into absolutely anything, but they probably have a they probably have the ability to differentiate quite a bit into like a you know, an array of different cell types once they go into a, a specific spot but they are delicate you'd probably have to keep them in liquid media in order to keep them healthy and then you'd have to del deliver this in something like a, a dropper but the more interesting thing is kind of like what can you solve with this right so these aren't nanobots that are like the kind of nanobots we think of in sci-fi that you can like direct them to do whatever they want to do they don't cannibalize anything to build any yeah. more of themselves and they yeah. don't eat stuff there we go two of my <laughs> biggest robot fears just yeah boom one yeah, right they, after the other they're not going to be the replicants from uh stargate yeah absolutely that's one of them but the other part of it is that What's the goal that you want to have, right? If you're saying that you want to be able to move a particular cell to a new home, that means that you have to have some sort of programming in place as to what that cell is going to do once it gets to the brain. So are you going to use this for something like neuronal repair, uh, for someone who's had trauma or something like Alzheimer's where they've had their neurons actually damaged? Or are you going to use it for something like remyelination in someone who has white matter tract disease and you're restoring like astrocytes and Schwann cells? So you'd have to have like a, a, you know, an a priori instruction set ready for uh, the cell before you kind of put it in and then moved it along with the magnet to go and sit where you wanted it to. That being said, if you have the magnetic fields, the neat thing is nowadays we can be very like precise about those magnetic fields. So as long as you have the way to get the cell there, you can kind of move it wherever it needs to go, frontal lobe, you know, back to the occipital lobe where your vision is, wherever you need to go. From the window to the wall. <laughs> not. What? I, no, I, I will not. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Till all these cell bots crawl. <laughs> and they are safe to use as a therapy, <laughs> even with the iron in them, because... Like DJ, they grew, like they Lil John sitting behind the window while the patient is in the MRI machine and he's like spinning the magnets around like two like turntables. He's ah, doc, Doctor Lil John, can you? 
Can you move okay. these? No. <laughs> you have to let me finish asking the question. Dr. Lil John, can you move what? these nanobots? So the cell bots are actually safe to use as a therapy. Yes, uh, magnetized okay. cells. Okay. Micro brain organoids were grown in the lab, so fake brains, and cell bots mm -hmm. successfully grafted onto them just as they would, you know, in normals in normal brain. Gotcha. Which suggests that they are capable of differentiating into neuronal cells that, as you mentioned, could help regenerate damaged brain tissues, just right. like the native counterparts of normal stem cells. So yeah. really, once this is moved up and safe through human testing, mm -hmm. the sky is the limit. This is so cool. I, I'm excited. The brain and the neurons in the brain specifically are the next great frontier of biomedical science because very recently, Josh, you know, we know that if a person suffers a stroke and you don't get there on time and you're not able to open up the, the blood vessels that get clogged and stuff like that and get blood flowing again like that, that's it. Those neurons are gone and you're never going to see them again. And what deficit follows from that is permanent and we can do our best with rehab and this kind of a thing. Unlike so many other tissues, we can't repair and regenerate parts of the brain. And just to know that there's a way to at least get the cells there, the next steps are going to be, you know, programming the cells properly to actually engraft and be a usable neuron so that it's not haphazard or, or you know, that it's not just like sitting there doing nothing. So it's not the matrix yet. We're still going to, no, it's, it's still going <laughs> to require a lot of physical therapy, speech therapy, mm -hmm. occupational, a whole bunch of medications that, you know, where it's, all it does is restores the ability to work toward a goal. And that's yes. even that's questionable at this stage. <laughs> that is. But I still love the fact, Josh, that we are making these kind of stepwise movements because it is very, very true that there are a, you know, you actually put all these steps together. And then we may have one of these days where we say, oh, Nobel Prize winning breakthrough. But that Nobel Prize winning physician or scientist who discovers that final piece is going to stand on the shoulders of all these giants, all these steps that came before them. So I love to see this in action because like we're watching history in motion. And now that you have inhaled a good old whiff of, of these <laughs> potentially brain altering nanobots, yes. let's move on to the happiest robot story. Well, Santosh, a robot designed by researchers at Johns Hopkins has oh. performed has performed pretty intricate surgery on a pig. Here's the kicker: without human assistance. Oh, you're you're talking about completely independent, as in like it was kind of set off on its mission and then allowed to do it without someone coming in with like a, a joystick or a tool to move it around. Right. Fully autonomous. The particular specific procedure that this article refers to is a intestinal anastomosis, which is a okay. procedure when the surgeon reconnects two parts of the intestine that had previously been disconnected. Right. 
I, I'm, it requires. I'm going to get a little personal here, Josh, because mm-hmm. I've actually undergone this type of a surgery as a very, very young boy. They had to make what's called an ostomy. So they had to take one part of my intestines and just, you know, put it out to my skin um, to, to let another part heal. And then they needed to actually go back in after I'd grown up a little bit to connect the two pieces back together. And as you probably know, as both a former recipient of this procedure, as well as an ID doctor, Mm -hmm. anything short of perfection could lead to some pretty devastating infections. Absolutely. Yeah. The intestine, the human intestine is chock full of very helpful bacteria as long as it stays where it's supposed to stay. (laughs) And as soon as it gets out, especially if it gets trapped in that peritoneum, right, in in our abdominal sac in there and, and it has nowhere to go, then those bacteria don't care. They just need to survive. That's their their only thing. So they're going to feed off of the tissue that's there in the peritoneum, causing a horrible infection and inflammation, and then, you know, uh, eventually death if you don't do it. On the side where the people survive, it is broad-spectrum antibiotics, and it can be scarring in the peritoneum and actually make the surgery, the subsequent surgery, is much more difficult because it leads to these things called adhesions and scarring. So all bad. All of which which is to say fairly complicated procedure, you know, not the kind of thing you would expect a robot to casually be able to do unless it was fairly advanced. Yeah. So this... Published in Science Robotics, the STAR system, which is Smart Tissue Autonomous Robot, performs (laughs) the procedure not just once successfully, Mm. but four times. All on the same poor pig. Oh, (laughs) that was going to be my next question. (laughs) Robotics is one way to ensure that these kinds of surgical tasks that require high precision and repeatability can be performed with, you know, everyone, regardless of, I don't know, whatever the line is that they're giving when they took her jobs. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah, because it it did outperform humans in the testing phase. Oh. (laughs) see now this is very interesting josh because we human beings okay we can do a lot of cool stuff just with hey i'm ryan reynolds at Mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you that's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Our own brains, our hands, our eyes, and everything else like that. But we are generalist machines, right? We are 
evolved to do many different types of things. When you take something which is a very specific task and you're able to make a machine where, okay, don't worry about anything else in life. Your only job ever is to take two pieces of, you know, intestinal lumen and sew them back together without getting any spillage and keep it nice and clean and everything else like that. When you have a specialist tool like this, almost always when you get all of the actual robotics and the science and everything right, it's going to outperform the original operator. This is from everything to physical tasks like this, all the way to things like using object recognition for identifying things like rashes and genetic diseases by looking at faces. Yeah. Well, this is a pretty impressive jump, especially when you consider the last iteration was only four years ago. And this is part of an ongoing collaboration between John Hopkins Electrical and Computer Engineering Department and Children's National Hospital in Washington, D.C. And the Children's Hospital has the 2016 robot, which can do a lot of the same things, but requires human assistance, which is what traditionally most robotic surgery is today. It still requires a human operator at one end. Right. So in order to provide... Actually, actually, I guess it both ends. It wouldn't really make much sense otherwise. You put the robot up the butt, and then the doctor goes and opens up the poop, the pig's mouth, and looks in. uh, Looking good, Star. Make a left. (laughs) No, 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 no. It's it's not like that. But it's to actually deliver little prompts of you know, hey, you have to move in this direction. You have to you know deploy this tool, that kind of thing. But for the robot itself to be able to make those decisions. Now, interestingly enough, Josh, it's probably going to take a lot more successful demonstrations in order to prove this kind of autonomous technology. And almost certainly for a very long time, there's going to be a backup to the robot, meaning a human being that's in the room and ready to basically assist if the robot break down malfunctions, anything like that. So just like any other physician or a surgeon would have assistance in the room, the robot would have a human assistant. That really covers most of the original studies I found. But since we did build up all the necessary devices to toss into the DeLorean, we can <laughs> maybe borrow a couple, Yeah, jump into the Wayback Machine. Okay. Why don't you check the dash and then look out the window and see where we are taking the Wayback Machine. Oh, man. Oh, dude, you're taking us back 65 million years? That's right. All right. To Jurassic (laughs) Hospital? (laughs) All right. Well, a few things, a few things. Um, The... Air and uh, the composition of of oxygen carbon dioxide is not entirely hospitable for us tiny little humans over here. So we're probably going to have to keep like our, you know, helmets and respirators on. But yeah, what do you want to show me out here in these wonderful Jurassic times? I want to show you uh, a dinosaur named Dolly. Found, (laughs) you know, uh, yes, yes, named after that Dolly. Really? Uh, I mean, does it have massive um, 
talent, legs. drive, yeah. desire to help people. Uh, uh, yeah, all of those. Does it? Is it? Is it? Uh, you know, a very kind and, and artistic individual. It was found in Montana and now resides in the Great Plains Dinosaur Museum. Okay. Famous, famous herbivore. Okay. And okay. this study comes from nature. Uh, but scientists were taking a look at a trio of vertebrae from Dolly's neck, and they okay. discovered a couple, a couple strange findings very close to what would have been the dinosaur's respiratory system based on what we know from their anatomy. Okay, so like their their trachea, whatever kind of analog to our their windpipe. They discovered evidence that this dinosaur Dolly had a cold. That's right, dinosaurs could get colds too. (laughs) Did you get your cold and flu shot? Bet you didn't see that coming. Oh my God, Josh, is this the like what killed the dinosaurs? Actually, like we've been thinking like a comet or an asteroid the whole time, but actually it's because. There were like, you know, dino anti-vaxxers. <laughs> they they kind of like screwed over all of the dinosaurs 65 something odd million years ago. So this is actually what makes this an exciting finding is that it's not necessarily unique just to Dolly, where abnormal growths in a lot of these fossilized neck bones suggests that long-necked dinosaurs were at particular risk for suffering from a pneumonia-like illness. Think about their aspiration risks, and probably giraffes, I guess, if you're looking for an equivalent. (laughs) Okay, so yeah, if you're saying, because I I don't know how they're, right now, our epiglottis, okay, the little cap that we comes down and closes off our trachea when we swallow, right? If there's any kind of malfunction in that part of our throat, our oropharynx and that kind of thing, you aspirate. So meaning that like liquid that's supposed to go down into your stomach gets either coughed up from your stomach and then goes down into your trachea or just the, the food in your mouth or whatever particles in your mouth goes down the windpipe. And like you said, now it's got bacteria and caustic chemicals in there that are not supposed to be in your lungs and you aspirate. But that's because we have this kind of anatomy, most mammals do, where our windpipe and our swallowing pipe diverge from the top of our neck. I don't know if it's the same type of anatomy that they would have. I just, I don't know. Well, in avians and reptiles... Okay. Uh, they found some similar broccoli-shaped outgrowths on the bone. Oh, okay, and okay. That is that is in areas where the bones would have attached to air-filled sacs that made okay. up the respiratory system. Because again, it's a long way from the heart to the head in these long-necked creatures. Okay, okay. So it's not entirely dissimilar from an illness seen in reptiles and birds today called you'll love this air sacculitis that's my favorite thing ever now (laughs) oh my Uh, god and they have these air sacs that kind of track along their neck oh that okay cool so separate from their actual lungs that are way down in their chest Yeah, and they suspect that the air sacculitis was a response to maybe a bacterial or fungal infection or an aspiration like aspergillum or chlamydia, you know, number one killer of koalas. Uh, And this later caused, you know, outgrowths and or infections in the neck bones, uh, which is what happens in 
those same in birds today. Oh, from the from the irritation actually from the inflammation adjacent because we don't have any kind of record of the soft tissue anymore, we can see evidence of it in the adjacent bone. That's so cool. So next Whoa. time you're laid up with, you know, the flu or at least know that you and dinosaurs have both been attacked by similar diseases. <laughs> that these goddamn colds and flus. And to be very fair, Josh, this is something that we knew, right? That these horrible, shitty microbes that are out to... Well, they're just trying to survive, but like in the process, they knock us down, have been hanging out much, yeah, much longer. Yeah. They're never going to keep us down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, they've just been hanging around and we've been co-evolving with them for a super, super long time. Holy cow. Yeah, COVID. We've been COVID evolving. Yeah. <laughs> well, Sniffing the night away. Yeah. <laughs> Sniffing the night away. Stop it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> takes a Pfizer shot and a Moderna shot and then a Johnson Johnson shot and then another Pfizer shot. No, we're not to a fourth yet. No, uh, no so, we can't. Well, and the Johnson and Johnson, unfortunately, yeah. is not. <laughs> but we'll, uh, we'll talk about that on our next COVID update for sure. That's it for this week. As always, <laughs> we love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback. Yeah, please. Um, if you'd like to support us spiritually, emotionally, or financially, links to do that are in the show notes along with links to several of the episodes or sources used in researching this show, along with links to further reading. If you're interested in learning more about the articles mentioned in the show, our theme music is composed by Rachel leisure. The show is produced by me with a lot of help from Dr. Santosh and friends. And until next time, as always, wash your hands, wear a mask, get your shot and find a country that's still open. Maybe avoid Ukraine at the moment. And, <laughs> And Russia too. And once, we're at it. It's probably just a good idea. <laughs> yeah, don't don't rush to any conclusions. And <laughs> once you've done all of that, happy travels. Bye, everybody. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.